Hey, what's up? This is Mike. And this is O'Teal, and you are back again with the Comes a Time podcast. Dude, this one is uh, one for the ages. I, I, the great, uh, the, the self-proclaimed director of uh, transportation, Mickey Hart, one of the most unbelievable people to ever. I, that, O'Teal, I had such a great time listening to you too. I was 20% <laughs> podcast. I was 80% nerd during that one. It was definitely a chance for me to nerd out because so many of my heroes, I think most people don't know, and Mickey knows all of them. And I was just like, oh man, I can't believe, you know. So it was fun for me to be like a little fanboy for. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I had to up one up fan you when I was like, I got to hear about Jerry. I got to hear yeah, about Jerry. <laughs> Well, the thing that's cool about Mickey too is that like, and if anybody that's listening only knows him as Grateful Dead or whatever, I mean, he literally created a genre of music in the, you know, categorization of things like world music. He, it's wild. The things that he was able to accomplish. Yeah. And putting all those people together from different cultures, you know, I mean, wow. Don't we need more of that right now? You know, yeah. that's what he's always been about and that's what they've always been about. And that's a lot of what we talk about. And it's a great episode. That's right. And guys, as always, uh, we want to remind you that comes a time as part of the Osiris media family. You can check out all the great Osiris podcasts at OsirisPod.com. And please go to Apple or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe and review us. Give us those five stars, baby. Yeah, come on. Wait, who else are you giving them to? <laughs> we love you guys. Enjoy me. Hey, Osiris listeners. We want to tell you about our friends at Sunset Lake CBD who support this show. Sunset Lake CBD is a Vermont hemp farm crafting affordable CBD products designed to help with sleep and stress without breaking the bank. If you haven't tried CBD before, take it from me. It's a game changer. I use Sunset Lake's tincture every night before I go to bed helping me get solid, restful sleep. And their gummies are great for daytime. Check out their new Good Vibes gummies, which have just a bit of hemp-derived THC to help you relax and unwind. Sunset Lake CBD crafts products with hemp grown on their family farm and ships them directly to customers. They have tinctures, salves, edibles, coffee, smokables, and even pet products. By the way, their CBD chocolate fudge is awesome. Check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code TIME for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. Key heart. Comes a time when the blind man takes your hand What's up? O'Teal here again. And this is Mike, and welcome back to another episode of Comes a Time. Today we are joined by Mr., I mean, the director of transportation himself, (laughs) Mickey Hart. Hi. Indeed, indeed. Well, hi, Mike, and of course, O'Teal, how are you this morning? Excellent, man. Good to have one half of the rhythm. I should say one third of the rhythm devils. That's right. Well, actually, actually, you know, uh, Sally, he was horned once, you know, one night we had a horning ceremony for Jeff. And so he's, you know, he's, he's an official rhythm devil as well. So 
That's we right. A little bit. Hey, <laughs> hey, guys, for the layperson, uh, what's a horning ceremony? Oh, a horning ceremony is when we, when Bill and I bring someone in, you know, to to the Rhythm Devils, and you know, and and uh, Otila earned his horns, I might say, quite well, and still does, and and so does Jeff, you know. Uh, so yeah, that's a horning ceremony. They get their horns, and you know, and they get their staff, and um, got you know, a cape and, too. And they get the cape. You got to get a red cape. And yeah, we have great pictures of our horning ceremonies. They're always fun. Backstage, right after you know, a real uh, rhythm devil experience, shall you say? Oh, okay. I got lucky because I actually had mine on stage. It was a surprise. I didn't even know it was going to happen. Oh, did I horn you on stage? Yeah. Oh, yeah. how, how can I do that in front of all those people? <laughs> oh my God. I'm sorry. You and Bill I, I was, both. I was you just both. carried away in a moment, but yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, I got some great pictures there because Jay Blakesburg <laughs> got you, some great pictures. You share that with me? I'd love to see them. Yeah. yeah. I thought I posted them, but I will, I'll definitely well, send them to you. When you send that, it'd be fun. I was flanked on either side by you and Bill. It I was do remember. Nice. You can't put the cape over me, and I got that oh! mask with a huge antler. Oh, were we were we playing a song at the time? Or no, no. Yeah, I think it was right before something. <laughs> I think it was right before a second set. Okay, I think. Wow! Wow! <laughs> it's a big day for me. Holy cow! Yeah. Good day, be horned. How's that drum setup, man? It's like you know. Wow, you know, I started on drums, so at like yeah. five years old. So that was it. the Almond Brothers had a massive drum setup, but you guys, whoa, no. there's just like so many things. It's just every yeah, drummer is yeah. like, it's like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, that's how we feel. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we like a lot of drums around us. That's the thing that me and Bill always said, you know, when we were playing stuff, you know, playing back there, we started. And we said, we just have a lot of stuff, you know, no matter what, you know, even if you fall into something, it'll make a sound, you know? <laughs> yeah. Better, better more than less. So, so that's where the mask came from originally. <laughs> I think I have fallen into a couple of things. Back. Yeah. You well, turn you and know, you're like, ding. Whoa, 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 whoa. Like, well, you're moving fast and people, got, remember you have the objects going up and down real fast by your head. So, <laughs> That ain't fun. I'll tell you one story, a real funny story. So when I first built the beast, we were at, at um, uh, in San Rafael, and I just started practicing on it. But the big sticks, you have to practice. And then so Ramrod was there, just me and Ramrod. And I, I said, Ramrod, how about let's get some burgers? So Ramrod, he runs out and gets a couple of cheeseburgers. And when he came back, I was out cold. And I, but I still had the stick in my hand and a big bump on my head. So I actually knocked myself out the first time I was really trying to really dig in deep on, you know, on home plate, the big guy. Uh, yeah, I knocked myself out. Ramrod woke me up and I said, you got the stick in your hand. <laughs> he said, here's your cheeseburger, Mickey. <laughs> was it above your head you said you were playing like this yes yes well they were coming by real fast and i didn't know how to you know drumming above your uh you know your, your chest is different than drumming down you know when you're out here the sticks are flying across your face and if you're not used to doing that 
they get very wishy-washy and you can't be wishy-washy when you have sticks moving at, you know, a hundred miles an hour uh, past your ear. So (laughs) that's what happened. (laughs) You're standing in the on deck circle right there. Really? You know, it's such a testament. You mentioned Ramrod. It's such a testament to the crew because for you two guys to, to take on what you take on every night in a different venue to have them be able to break it up, set it back up. I mean, it's, that is just, that's a testament to the crew right there. Well, we ride on their backs, really. You know, if it isn't, if you don't have a great crew, you can't have a great band, really. You know, things are going wrong and everything. We don't have to worry about anything because we know we're covered. Everybody's covering your back every which way. And so that means you could just be out there in the zone and you don't have to be worrying about this. And when you, they can see things going wrong before, just as you are imagining them they're just right there and they're watching always watching and say okay and they're out before you can even tell them what to do so that's that's a that's a that's a mean you know clean mean uh rhythm machine (laughs) yeah i felt guilty sometimes for like overreacting if something is going wrong but uh it's so rare you know i'm just like in my zone and then something goes wrong like what the hell? You know, just like you're just so thrown. And I feel, you know, sometimes I'm like, all right, calm down, dude. You know, don't yeah, it's a, make the guys look bad when they're doing so good all the time, you know? Yeah. As a matter of fact, in the old days, uh, you know, when we didn't play well, we, we blamed, you know, we thought we were letting down the crew, you know, because they had set up all our gear and they had all done that. Oh, and wow. if we didn't respect that, you know, and really play as you know, play out of our heads because they took all afternoon in the hot sun. And then we played, you know, like, a, you know, uh, it wasn't I, on the way out. Ramrod used to walk me on the way out and he, he used to say something. He, when we played well, he would go, all right, all right. And when we didn't play well, you know, he didn't, he didn't say much. He was, he, <laughs> so I, I always got to know when we did well for the crew. That's so awesome, man! That's yeah, and so a lot cool. of you know, in a lot of cases, that uh, the best bands that I've been in, the crew plays well, like they all can play. Yeah, and uh, so well, you know, crew, they know when crew, you're our crew couldn't play well. You see, <laughs> it was the worst band you ever heard in your life. I, I think they call some of them the uh, Sparky and the uh, Ass Bites. I think they call themselves so yeah, yeah, the Ass Bites. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, we would find them playing our instruments sometimes when we would come up for a uh, sound check. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't something you want to hear a second time. <laughs> I think our crew with Denton Company can play, though. I know my oh, guy, Vadim, can play multiple instruments. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> I've never seen you guys in uh, those, those folks in full flight. <laughs> we got to see if we can get them together. Come on, guys. I know Open y'all can act. do it. Opening yeah. act, we can, you know, save a little money and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so what you've been doing this quarantine, man? Is like, you've been recording like crazy? or is it Every day. Nuts? Every day. Almost seven days a week, you know. Wow. Yeah, I'm on it all the time. I'm making, uh, you know, the next Rhythm Devil experience with Zakir Hussein, you know, and we're on. Well, we call ourselves uh, the the Sonic Tonic Club. And now we've got <laughs> wow. 116th 
uh, versions of the uh, 116 times the Sonic Tonic Club has met, and over over this uh, you know this this last I guess four months. And so, yeah, I work every day uh, remotely. Uh, the engineers are out there. Sometimes there are three engineers, or maybe Zakir uh, in San Anselmo, or Renee Fleming. I did a thing with Renee, um, a great soprano singer, uh, opera singer, and a classical singer. Uh, and she was in New York City. And so we were here. Zakir was in San Anselmo. Uh, but on a daily working basis, you can do this. You have to. You have to adapt. You know. You have to be able to um, see. It's different when someone's in the room. You know, Jill, that when you're in the room and, and we're in the in the control room together. Sometimes we don't even have to talk. You know. I just know the way you look, or you know the way I look. That it's right. Or a glance. Yeah. We can't do that like that. You know. It, it's different when you're remote, but. If you have worked with someone for many years, like me and Zach here for 30, well, since 1970, <laughs> 50 years, it's like 30 years, that went fast. <laughs> so you know how to work with each other. But unless you are com comfortable like that, eh, you know, but it can be done. We're doing it. And um, working on the drones, serious drone project, a Sonic Tonic Club will be uh, uh, putting out some drones soon. And I'll send you. I'll send you a little. I think it'll really chill. Uh, I think you're gonna really like it, Otil. I'll send you some. You know, I've been listening to a lot of your records um, the last couple of days, and I've been really struggling. You know, just with all the emotions of everything happening, yeah. and uh, your records help me find some time to meditate. They're very healing, man. I really. Oh, appreciate good. a lot of the stuff that you've done. I love the nature sounds in there. I love when I hear rain. Uh, or, what was the pump? The pump song? What pump. was that? Was that an actual pump, like a water pump or something? Hoodoo. Yeah. It was a pump on the, on the land we had in Nevada. That <laughs> pump, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> Moses come riding up on a guitar. Boom. Boom! His spurs were jingling in the of the So I took the pump, started and played up uh, what became greatest story yeah. over it. It was called Pump Man originally, and then uh, it became uh, greatest story ever told. And uh, it was based off of the pump, and so that's how that song happened. So yeah. That's that's the story of the pump. It was everywhere. My <laughs> it went off all the time. You know, as soon as the water ran low, pump started automatically. So it was like the sound of the land. We had thirty-two acres where uh, we were renting there, and uh, yeah, that was the sound of it. So it became a song. I love all that stuff because uh, you know, there's a uh, that meter song. That was like a car. They had an old jalopy car. And when you yeah. turn the car off, after the car was turned off, it would go. Ook -ook <laughs> so they made this group well, the best funk song ever. Yeah. A great a muffler on a Harley. You know, just, uh, just, yeah, yeah. just at rest. Yeah, and you idling. Know, it's, it's symphony. You know, it's a symphony. <laughs> I, I love, love how you always take those natural sounds, the music to be born by. Yeah, that's how, I guess that was your son's heartbeat, and then he was born to it. 
Yes, me his out too. concentrated on it. That's what it was supposed <laughs> to be for. You know, so it took away the hospital room and she was focusing on what mattered, you know, and in training with the heartbeat of the son that was about to be born. So that's where music to be born by. And I've gotten so much mail over the years from people all over the world who have used that record in childbirth. And <laughs> I mean, they come up to me and tell me these, these like kind of raw details about the birthing. <laughs> oh, that's okay. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. no, but they said they love it. And, uh, yeah, I, that, yeah, he's, <laughs> he was a big help. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny too when you hear the stories from like the record execs that were like, these guys were taking forever in the studio because they wanted to go out to the desert and record 30 minutes of just still air and then go to the LA freeway and record 30 minutes of still. It's like you guys even like just always were looking for like the the soundtrack of anything and everything to put together. Yeah. Well, I, you know, we envisioned a larger sonic universe where every, the noise was included. We loved noise. We were noisicians, actually, in the beginning. We, we, we valued noise, uh, airplanes, uh, you know, uh, uh, buildings being knocked down. I know Jerry and I used to go and have hot dogs and, and soda pop and watch a uh, building being destroyed by a, by a giant swing. Yeah, that's cool to watch. Great! Oh, ooh, ah, and you know, or noise of a city, or noise, or the noise of of a rainforest, because when the ear doesn't understand a sound, it calls it noise. But really, there's melody in noise, there's harmony in noise. You just have to listen, and then you'll start to recognize it musically. But unless you, to the untrained uh, ear, uh. You know, bird would sound like noise. You know, if you went to sleep and bird woke you up, that'd be noisy. But if you're sitting around, sun, nice day, little bird chirps over there, oh, that's nice. So it all depends what you call music and what you call noise. We were noisicians. I mean, Phil and Jerry and Bob used to just throw those guitars right into the amp you know into the into their boxes and just let it feed back and it was wonderful we would just play 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 then song would start and all of a sudden they would run back so there was many rhythm devils during a night back then <laughs> yeah. whatever whenever they went back to the uh amplifiers we went crazy and it became like a, a very noisy uh immersive i might say experience i love your whole uh the spirit into sound thing that, you know, like everything is vibration. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that encompasses what you might consider noise. I find rhythms and patterns and all kinds of noises, you know. And uh, so that's something I wanted to ask you about, like how that cosmology developed over time. I mean, I think as drummers, we always have it instinctively. But then you really like connected some dots there you know spiritually and well it all comes from the singularity from uh 13.8 uh, billion years ago the big bang they call it the singularity and all vibrations that was beat one that was the beginning of time and space so all of that started back then then the 400,000 years after that they became you know, we're able to now read 
what it sounded like at the Big Bang. Well, 400,000 years this side of the Big Bang. And that, that caused the universe to inflate and it became larger. And then the planets formed and the stars formed. And they were all about carbon, all the things that make up uh, us and, and food and everything around us. So it all, all the vibrations came from the, from the cosmos. Uh, a star that exploded a billion years ago, as uh, someone said, uh, it, it, it was, it was in, uh, the iron in your cheesecake or something like that, you know, for, so, uh, uh, so that's what, that's the cosmology I, I, I picked up. I said, wow, everything is vibration. It comes from one source. And now we've uh, learned to break up time and space and vibrations and use it in a musical form because humans, when they first came together, used sounds to communicate and to warn other uh, tribes and so forth that something is coming, just a language. And it always was verbal and it was like rocks on rocks, uh, wood on rocks or stones. On it was always, you know, some kind of uh, uh, sonic tattoo. So, it, once you get understand that idea, then you can understand the spirituality of it all because, you know, this is like bigger. This is the big picture. And, and we're just like, a, we musicians are like the miniatures of what's happening in, in the cosmos because, um, you know, everything is revolving and it all has an order. It's like a heavenly clockwork. And, you know, we have our 24 hours circadian rhythms and, uh, we live within a certain time uh, and space. And so that's how we define it, by playing music. And that's what our way of communicating at a very basic tribal, if you will, level. And that's why it means so much to people, and that's why we spend our whole life trying to make good sound. And yeah. you know how much you, you, tap, you played, a, you practiced a million hours to be up there on stage you know, just for a few hours. Can you imagine that? We played, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of hours practiced. And it, you, but we only get really about three or four hours up there on stage. It's, uh, and, we, and we're lucky to do it, and we feel good to do it. And the, and, our, and the people that we affect, well, you see what you can do. You know, when an audience lights up, you know, that's, that's it. And, and you're sharing the best of vibes, best of times. I always think that, uh, especially drums, uh, <clears throat> a lot of things, but definitely drums. Coming from being taught African drums since I was like seven, I felt like those were the the original psychedelics. You play drum grooves for a really long time, yeah. like you just get into a deep trance, and you do start you start yeah. traveling dimensions, time. Yeah things change it's very very much like the priorities change. change when you're in trance because yeah. everything else falls away and you're in the now in the moment that's the most treasured thing to be you know it it be now here and now that's that the ego but that's when you're conscious and so rhythm is the driver of that it's uh auditory driving it's entrainment it's uh, all the things that are healthy and all the and nature is is efficient, you know, it's most efficient. So you want to beat in time with your surroundings, with your nature, whether it be in the city 
or be in the country, in the forest, and so forth. Uh, you want to be entrained with your um, with your environment, and then be able to reflect on it and be able to talk about it in music to other people. And that's what we're here for, especially yeah, in the groove. Help other people get in the groove. And especially during put a time in, like this. Put them, put them in rhythm. Put them in rhythm. Absolutely. What's wrong with the country now? It's out of rhythm. It's off the, out of the groove. And by putting good rhythm into the world, it helps. Someone will be affected by that and do something good. And that's the most you can expect. Uh, that's what the Dalai Lama would say. You know, he would say, yeah, as long as it, I'll paraphrase. He says, don't. The sound, as long as it hits one human ear and it does some good, it's worth it. You know, that would be paraphrasing his holiness. <laughs> uh, <laughs> When's the first time you met it, the it exactly like that, but that's what he meant. <laughs> When's the first time you met the Dalai Lama? Because when I was at your house recording, you know, I saw these pictures and it's my heroes. I'm like, wow, there's Giovanni Hidalgo. There's Akira Hussain. Yeah. There's Sikiru. I was like, oh. There's Mickey with the Dalai Lama. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm just like... <laughs> well, uh, yeah. well, as you know, I record his, his choir, his personal uh, Kyoto Tantric Choir. Uh, oh, I, I had that I record. Over here in the 87. And so I became the recordist for his, his holiness. And so, and that's how I met him, through the choir. Uh, and Because that's his sound. You know, that's how that's their sound. That's what the Tibetans sound like enchanting and trying to recreate a perfect universe within themselves. That's why they chant. They dissolve that all the everything just falls away in the now and they recreate the, a perfect universe in their in their heads in their in their bodies by by using these uh, Sanskrit these uh, these chants, these sacred chants. I told you that story, didn't I? When I had that. Uh... When I played that record, I, you remember we? I, um, it's right when I first got the gig with Dead and Company. Anyway, I, a long time ago, I lived in this apartment building. And had these French doors that opened out onto this courtyard, and it was uh, winter time, so the the tree was bare. <clears throat> but that day wasn't particularly cold, you know. So it's just a courtyard and this big tree and. The, and I had the Guto monks playing, and I turned it up. <laughs> and I'm going around doing whatever I'm doing, and I look back, and all the tree is completely black with birds, filled with birds, and they're all facing in this direction. Yeah. Wow. And I was like, yeah. what the fuck? <laughs> so I'm like, I wonder if this has something to do with the monks, you know? So I turn the sound down, fly and the birds start flying away. One Gee, time, wonderful story. Three, four, five. The tree's bare again. You can see right through it. Right. Wonderful story. Wonderful. And I'm like, I turn that thing back up, and I'm like, each bird they all come back, and they all face <laughs> wondering. And I was like, what the <laughs> hell, man? This is crazy. Like when the birds know, like you know, when the animals know, you gotta be like, hey, man. Yeah, close to nature, gotta... and you're talking. You know, you, you're trying to reconnect to the. Uh, the origin sounds, the origin feelings, you know, of the universe. And that's what they're doing. They're tapping in. And, uh, yeah, it's just wonderful just to be around them and listen to them because they, their low note is at 70, I think it's 70 cycles. And Whoa. fifth 
And then there's the 11th partial. So they're singing three notes simultaneously. So they're holding the chord. Each larynx has the ability to hold the chord. So, you know. And even move that top note, because I've heard them hold like two here. Right. And then that's move right. the top one up and down. And you're like, what? What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy, man. It, take like, you out, it takes you out there. It really does. I spent many out, many, many uh, hours out there, uh, which I loved, you know, because mixing them became, you know, wonderful. You know, well, I came one time they came here and there were 10 chanters, not all monks chant. Uh, these are very specific monks. They're, there's only a few of them left in the world, maybe 40 of them or so. And these schools, Yutu and Kume, there are two schools that do these tritones. And uh, so anyway, it's, anyway, it's a, it's a rare tradition and it takes you out, uh, definitely out of the zone. It's supposed to be that way. That's what it's meant to do. It just, you have new priorities. The whole world is quite different. Just like when we play, we get in the zone and we're flying and you now, you don't think of, you think what's happening next. You don't think of what happened, just happened. You have to, you're just there and you're floating and you're flying. And everything is working, and and all you're doing is being in the moment, and you're letting your skill and your feeling towards your brothers. Like I always, I really, I my best times is when I'm making you look good, or making uh, m making Bob look good, or Bill, you know, or, you know, enforcing what the, you know, playing with them and, and playing with them as, as opposed to just playing with myself as a war, you know, as which you can do in a band, just play the part. So I'm always interacting, always trying to make it better for everybody. Uh, uh, of course, including myself. I know if, I know if you're grooving, I'm grooving, well, you know, if we get in that, if you're in the groove and you're just like, it's like surfing, <clears throat> it's yeah. really the groove that you're just riding. It, it's like best ego remover. Of all Isn't time. it? Isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. Really in the now and just that's everybody's all the, the same in the groove. You know, when you're in that moment, there's no, there's no, there's no priorities except the ones that happen in that very moment. What is happening right there that you're in training with all of these organisms that are beating together within proximity. I mean, I can see you. I can, uh, you know, I, if you can see someone and you can hear someone, which is like feeling someone, you know, feeling their, their presence. I know what's going through your your body when I hear how you when you hear you hit a note. I know how much uh, commitment you have when you play a note because I look for that. And 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 being in the rhythm section, me you and and Billy, you know, that's the most important thing because if we're not in the groove, nobody's in the groove. <laughs> no, if we don't have it, they don't have it. So. The responsibility is ours uh, to be able to maintain that groove, no matter how far out we get. You know, how, you know, whatever zone we go to, the most important thing is resp the responsibility of, of of maintaining the groove uh, and being in the moment. Those are the those are those are the two things. It's killing it, me right now hearing you describe all the all the ways we're connected and feeling each other i'm sure all the fans are like thanks a lot guys <laughs> you know? we can't have a concert now you're really well i'll, I'll tell you a real but, quick jerry story yeah. jerry story so first time we played a stadium uh i played so hard so hard because it was so big 
and I never played in a stadium before. So I was trying to reach that guy way out there in the top row up the, the last. <laughs> and I came off so exhausted. I mean, I couldn't walk. And, 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 and Jerry, and I said, man, that was hard. And he said, look, we got to get a, a intimate, an intimate um, envi- environment and atmosphere on the stage. Once we have our communication on the stage, we can send it out to hundreds of thousands of people. But you can't play for the guy in the back. You've got to play for yourself. And then all of a sudden, you connect with the audience. The audience lights up. They give you that feeling back, and then we give it back to them. And this goes on all night, and this is our conversation. And that's what it makes it fun. They're not just a bunch of people out there. You know, they're really, you know, like 40, 50, 60,000 people. That's a lot of energy coming at you. And if you're open to it, you play with it and that's what we can do we that's what that's what we do you know uh for life you know we play that's the most important thing that we do in our lives really i mean musically speaking i think one of the funnest things to watch too is to see you and billy back there and when a camera or a shot goes to the two of you it's like you're just chilling you're just having a good time with each other it's like you're on a ride together and you're sitting next to each other and that's just so much fun to watch and and to see you two feed off each other and yeah it's so it's so great that's that's the most fun i mean that's one of the big get-offs because if bill and i don't agree exactly then oteal's off and then oteal's off then the rest of the rest of those birds are off you know they're just tweeting away in their, in their universes, unless me and Bill really come to grips with the moment. Because, I, you know, I see Bill, we talk before the show, hang out a little bit. So you get to feel someone before they hit the stage. So I kind of know what mood he's in. And, uh, but when we hit the stage, we look at each other, and that changes everything. Now all of a sudden, we are one. As soon as we look at each other, we recognize each other on the stage, we, go, we know what to do. Uh, and then we try to get, get a handle on our conversation. We are conversing. We, we have been having a conversation for, you know, since the 60s, you know, and it's always different every night. And so that's really a lot of fun. And then once we have our conversation, then I, then O'Teal and I and Billy and I, we talk to O'Teal. And then O'Teal talks to the rep that has a conversation. I know he has a different conversation with Bob as he does with me and, and uh, with Jeff that everybody's communicating with each other and they have an intimate communication. And also there's the group. So it starts with me and Bill and we get the foundation foundation, solid build them out, you know, but fluid. Yeah. It's gotta be solid, but fluid. And once you're in that fluid and then once you're doing some jujitsu here, we can do it in a beat. Sometimes we know where the groove is within one. Well, as soon as we close the beat, as soon as that two comes down, we know where the three will be exactly and four and so forth. I mean, nuanced. Yeah. And sometimes we can do it like that. Other times we have to search for it and everybody's searching around until to find the, the groove du jour, which every day is different. You know, it's the groove of the day. Definitely. Right. Otil. Definitely, man. I love that you guys met 
like going to see, at least this is what I heard and read, you were going to see one of my favorite drummers, Sonny Payne, Sonny with Payne. Uh, Count Basie. Count Basie. That right. Basie band, man. Oh, my God. Oh. And. That's right. Yeah. That's how we met. <laughs> yeah, man. Was Yo, that Sonny, lightning right away? You were Sonny, was great, Sonny was a great, great drummer, you know. Uh, I mean, the Basie band was a bad, badass band. I mean, the characters in that band were tough guys. You know, a lot of them were packing. You know, just yeah. be, yeah. And uh, Can you imagine being black on the road back then, oh. and you're having to travel through, oh, oh man. America. I mean, America. You know. <laughs> like, oh no, that's no, rough, that man. Really hard, really hard. And they drank heavy, drank a lot of whiskey. All of them. They, you know, they really at, at set break. They just walk back to the bar and just kick back two or three whiskeys and get back on the stage. And wow. and I can't believe how they did it. You know, I look at Sonny. How could you do that? You know, they used to get so drunk. And yeah, and, and I can't imagine, because I can't take a, I couldn't even look at a, a glass of wine before I play, you know, I mean, or anything, you know, I mean, any kind of alcohol. So, but they, perhaps they didn't play so well <laughs> a lot of times, but, um, you know, to them, it was a real slog. Had to do it, man. That's great, you guys meeting. I'd love that story, y'all meeting there, and yeah, and then uh, off it goes, you know. Yeah, man, it was a great day. It was a great night, actually. We spent all night drumming the city. We went through the whole city. You know, we played on garbage cans, on street signs, on. We just went all the way from. I don't know where it was a Basin Street West. It's kind of like where the Fillmore is now. All the way across to the marina. Uh, where Janice was playing with Big Brother, and it was in this little club. It was actually a hallway. <laughs> it was only about it was only, it couldn't be more than twenty four feet wide, and it was just like that, and no stage. And they were just in the back there, and uh, we went there, and and she was so loud. I mean, James Gurley had his he had his guitar up to his amp, and he was like this and he was running the reverb and then he threw it on the ground and I, I never saw anything like that before he just threw his guitar on the ground and it was all with all reverb and all feeding back and then Janice walks on and starts to sing and then the band forms and so Sonny Payne comes up he found where I was and so he he came and sat behind me and Billy and I couldn't believe it. I thought this was the most incredible thing. I, I never saw Janice. And <clears throat> she was just starting up and uh, blew my mind. So he said, this is too loud for me. And I go, I go, I'm not going anywhere, Sonny. Bye bye. <laughs> you know, and that was the last time I saw him. And, wow. Uh, and, yeah, <laughs> and I wound up in the closet, you know, in Bill's closet the next morning, I think. <laughs> uh, the only place in the house, Phil had a, be a bedroom. Billy had a bedroom. Uh, Bob had a, it was four of us, uh, Phil and me, Bob. And, and uh, yeah, and Bill, uh, yeah, Bill, no, Bill was at 710. No, Bill was there too. No, it was Billy as well as Phil and Bob. <laughs> How old were you then? Oh God, twenty-one, something wow. like that. 
So at that point, did you have any idea of like the warlocks or the de- or any of that stuff, or was it just this? I didn't know anything. I never heard the, the I had heard the name, but I never seen the concerts. I had never. Be, I wasn't really down into San Francisco too much. Uh, I lived out on the peninsula where I had a drum store, and and Bill used to come in at the drum store. And I used to drum and teach him a few rudiments and so forth. And, and that's how, that's one of the reasons. Then he asked me to, to come down and hear his band somewhere in the, in the mission, in the garage. And I drove around the mission. I couldn't find it. I had a garage with a band playing. So I said, oh, forget it. And then he came to come to the store. And he says, oh, I miss seeing you. Uh, why don't you come down to the straight theater where we're playing tonight? So, or yeah, so I went down the straight, and uh, they were playing. And during the intermission, Billy says, "You want to sit in?" And I go, "Sure." I get, I don't have any drums. He said, "Okay, no problem." And he gets in his Mustang. He might, he had a Mustang. Just bought a Mustang, a little Mustang. And he, he I, I don't know if I went with him. I can't remember if I went. He got went and got it in the intermission. He went and got a set of drum set, a drum set, brought it back to the straight theater, and set it up. And uh, then I played, and I hadn't met the guys. Uh, <laughs> oh wow! You know, I hadn't met That's anybody. So wild. You know? And and we played, we played, we played. Played a long time, and it was really serious because I had never heard the music, and so it was all new to me. And <laughs> and I, but I put my head down, and we played like you know, play like the gods <laughs> or something. <laughs> and everybody's high, you know. And um, so, uh, but I, but I do remember knowing where the back exit was. <laughs> <laughs> I remember saying, you, you know, you know, a drummer always has to know where the, uh, the exit is, you know, <laughs> you know, tomatoes or whatever it is. Right. So it stopped. Every just music just dissipated after hours, and everybody was still, and nobody moved. But I could see the dust or whatever coming through a light coming down like that, and the audience was totally silent, and freaked me out i uh, i never been in a place like that with the audience you couldn't hear the audience it wasn't that many of them there might have been a thousand people in there 900 people 800 people uh and then i got off the drum set seat and i, I started to move towards the exit <laughs> <laughs> and, and as i was just lifting off they go ah. they go cool you know that's great i loved it too you know and jerry just we all grab around we all hug each other and stuff and jerry said this is the grateful dead we could take this around the world and yeah sure you know of course we can you know or you can uh and uh And then, so that's it. Then that's when I wound up in Bill's house, you know, after, after that night, now that I remember. And the only place they had was, um, was a closet, you know, a long closet and the stairs went up to the top. So I only had half a closet, but it, <laughs> it was the best closet I have ever been in life. It was wonderful. Only one little small little mattress, a little candle, 
a little record player, a tiny little record player. And, and that's it. That was your cocoon oh, phase. Oh, it was. And, and it was <laughs> wonderful. So, you know, that was the story of, uh, you know, the, the short of the long of it. Wow. Man, that <laughs> is it, unbelievable, man. man. That, that's like yeah. just. Just like that. Not uh, even knowing the guys and just being like, no, oh, there's was, a second drummer back there. <laughs> you know, it just, it just was meant to be. Uh, you know, it's like someone said, you don't sign up, you don't sign out of the Grateful Dead. You either are or you're not. <clears throat> and so this was the Grateful Dead. Now we had the power, you know, all this flexibility, the, just that, you know, two engines powering this thing. It was just too much for them, you know, and they loved it and I loved it and, and it worked. It was, and, and it's just when you're listening before you, you know, before the internet, when you could Google who's this band, who's that band, like, and you see what they look like and you can hear every single song at the touch of a finger, you know, when you're getting to listen to the Grateful Dead at an early age and you hear that, like, man, there's so much more like beef to it. There's so much more substance to it. And you hear like a, 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 a passenger from 77 and there's that break with nothing to hide. And then, and it's just like, holy shit, these guys are, is there an octopus playing drums? And then you learn, wow, they had two drummers. That's amazing. And it's just so wide. And then the almonds and just all of the fun, like just, it's so unique and powerful when you're, when you're, I mean, it was just such yeah. a, such a fun thing to listen to drums in space. I would, I mean, that was like a soundtrack to like my nights as a kid, I would just put on dead set and just let it go. And that was just so much fun. I never played with another drummer before, you know, another trap drummer. <clears throat> that was the first time. Wow. It's not, not easy. You know, you, if you're, you have to sacrifice some of some, something to be, to be a greater whole, you know, a compromise, let us say, and you and become one, like he doesn't play the same. And what do I play the same? I wouldn't play alone. It when we play together. It's a whole other thing. It's just something different. Um, but we worked at it. We went to, we lived in the castle for a while. We called it the castle down in LA making the records. Uh, was it live dead? Or one of the, one of the early records and, <clears throat> you know, Bill and I would practice 10, 12 hours a day. You know, I mean, we practiced so much and we would be able to split the his left hand, my right hand, and we would even be able to do rolls with, uh, you know, we had our hands around each other back so we could really wow. feel the vibrations in each other. So we really practice it. You know, it's not something that, you, you know, that just happened. I mean, once we knew that we had electricity and we had some kind of connection, then you would have to make it, you know, a, a world-class act and not just fumble over each other which happens a lot with, with two traps. You have to have another kind of connection, a spiritual, a love, you know, a trust. All of those things come into play when you're, you're playing with uh, other rhythmists. That's the most important thing. You have that trust because you're flying. You're flying and you have... Hey there, Osiris listeners. I wanted to tell you about our friends over at SmartWall. For more than 25 years, Smartwool has been making merino wool socks and apparel designed to keep you comfortable. Because they want to help you play, laugh, and explore in the outdoors with every thread they knit and every step you take. 
because they believe that comfort sharpens focus and lets you perform beyond your limits. They're here to help you feel good. Now it's up to you how far you will go. Take 15% off of your first order at smartwool.com. Smartwool. Go far, feel good. To know that your co-pilot is flying with you. You guys have a lot of your uh, move through a lot of different styles and stuff. Like I know you started out with drum corps and stuff, and you obviously were into jazz. If you were going to see Basie and see Sonny Payne, and <laughs> yeah. you went straight from Basie to Janis Joplin, and you yeah. know, so and that's I always I love that kind of thing where you're listening to and playing and checking out. Makes me think of like um, some of the other stuff you started to get into, like Ola Tunji, and when mm. did you when did you get Ola hooked Tunji. into that kind of stuff? And oh boy. Ola Tunji, I guess came you met him before. That was nineteen fifty nine. I was in Spain, and all of the jet set was listening to drums of passion. Ola yeah. Tunji, you know, drum vocal uh first percu- percussion vocal uh african record really to hit the hit horror shores uh and it was a big hit so it some records it was underground at the time and once i heard that talking drum and i heard those polyrhythms that was it i go wow i want to do that <laughs> i love that and so that was the first time then he came to san francisco at an 87 and i had never seen him uh, play and, and Carlos had seen him once in the, in the park and he saw the drummers and stuff and that's when he added his congas and uh, and all uh-huh. of, all of, and he took Alatunji's song a couple of them and did it yeah. on his first jingo ba ba go ba all that stuff that was that was Olatunji uh-huh. so uh, so so Baba came to town and I went to see him and then. Right. He was this little club. Joel Selvin was there. I remember that. That's one only thing. I, and Chris Isaacs with Joel. And we were marching through. I just get, got in the drum line after they you know, played. And I just got in it and I grabbed a, a cowbell. And we just roamed around the club with him. And then afterwards, he didn't know who I was or anything. I just joined the group. You know, I just, I couldn't stop. And then he, I said, he, Ola, Mr. Olatunji, uh, I I have a band uh, that's playing at the Oakland Coliseum, and I would really be honored if you would open for us. And so he didn't know Grateful Dead or anything. He had never heard of Grateful Dead. So it, after then the next day, he, gets, he calls back, oh, yes, yeah, I'd love to do it. Because he didn't say, I, I don't know. <laughs> and so he, he opened for us at Oakland Coliseum in 87. We filmed it. And which never released, which I still have, and uh, and that's when it that's when my relationship with Olatunji started. It just turned out that Baba was like a whole other thing to thousands of drummers here in America. They all wanted to study and be uh, and be turned on by Baba, and uh, so he had a you know. He had all the deadheads would be following him everywhere and he would give them classes and so forth and nice. turned out wow. to be a wonderful force in our world. So, oh, absolutely. He was a big, uh, big presence in my house and that's how I learned African ah, drums. This really? guy from Ghana named Kojo ah. Baden. 
<clears throat> we actually had the same birthday. We're both born on August 24th, and we had this big African ceremony in Anacostia Park in Washington, D.C. I think it was my seventh birthday. And I, no doubt, man, all those, all that drumming with Kojo Baden, and they, they taught you what the dances meant and the dances. Always a dance, rhythms. always a dance. And, Drum, uh, drums, dance, dance, drum. Yang. Like that. Got to go together. And uh, that's so, like, that's what I go click back into when I get up with you guys on drums in space. Like back with Kojo Baden, man. Those polyrhythms are flying, and I'm just. They're flying. <laughs> <laughs> lying like by. DMT man. Oh boy, <laughs> nothing is better lying than that by. to me. No, you you make you made a great devil. A <laughs> 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 rhythm devil. But that's probably why it's probably that Olatunji connection and the and the sunny pain and the everything you know like yeah. we just have a lot of, and that's all thanks to my my dad and my mom really they really, really were such a musical education just. Mm -hmm being in that house you know when's mm -hmm. the first time you met zakir because i love the way you put these groups yeah. together yeah. you know and all the different combinations met zakir phil gave me a record one day phil gave me a record called north and uh, drums of north and south india he just handed it to me he said you should hear this and i went to my closet and i put the, <laughs> put the record on and i just listened to it and i didn't read the cover and I, it sounded like all the drummers playing, and I couldn't understand the rhythm, but they were a lot of drummers playing. And then I read on the back that there was only one drummer. Really. His name was Alaraka, and he was, he was the uh, ultimate tablist at the time. Uh, he played with Ravi Shankar for 30, 25, 30 years. He was a drummer at wow. Monterey and so forth. So uh, I... And it, in 68, I think it was, or 67, I found out he was in New York City and went to see him. He had in his apartment. And I asked him, I asked, we started talking to each other. We had tea and everything. And I had my drum pad and I, I asked him, could he teach me something? You know, and so that was the beginning. So I became his student. Little did I know that he had a son. So, the drum set is the, one of the loudest percussion instruments in the world, and the tabla is one of the quietest. These little drums, finger drums, not bang, bang. So he says, I can't play with you because you're too loud and I'm too quiet. But I have a son. He could play with you. And so that was, so then in 1970s, there's a knock on the door, and ah, my name is Zakir. Uh, my father sent me to you, or something like, like right out of the Godfather. He said, and all of a sudden, <laughs> and all of a sudden they said, Zaku say, oh, come on in. It was at the barn in Novato, and that was the beginning, Rolling Thunder, nineteen seventy. Wow, and Rolling Thunder. So it's yeah. all those years, and then we made Diga and, and Planet Trump. He's a founding member of Planet Trump with Oladunji. And Diga, man, that's the one I was nah, like meditating Diga, to. Yeah, Diga it. really that, took me wow. into a great place. I mean, all of them do, but that was Diga, the beginning. I, that, that was the the rhythm record. They they said that that's what started world, what they call world music. You know that that was that record, but um, that started it all. That was that was the beginning of my percussion and 
experiences uh, big time. Was I had to learn a lot to be able to play along with Zuck here. He was very complicated. These guys, you know, uh, it's from another world. So I had to really focus if I want to do this. And so we, we composed things in 10 and a quarter, 205 beats, 102 and a half beats. We were composing in the most difficult times, signatures with Zach here. I, always, I thought that everybody in India did it. <laughs> I thought, no, 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 you don't understand. There's only one person who can do that. And that's Zach here. And the other one was uh, Alaraka. Uh, so that influence helped when I went back to the dead, you know, with the 11 and, mm. and the playing the band in 10 and all of these uh, other signatures that we started using because we had two drums. One drum set go one way, three guys go with it. One guy go with it, three guys go with that. And all of a sudden we have two bands that can, in, that also can talk within each other, you know, and, and also one entity uh, and all kinds of different crazy combinations. And that's what happened but while I was studying with Alaraka and Zakir. And that's one of the reasons that the band became, you know, that kind of fluid, you know, in odd, odd times and so forth. So I neat. love how you spread it out too. Like it, you, Giovanni Hidalgo. Yeah. So you had like the Afro-Cuban thing going on and you had Sikiru. How did you, did you meet Sikiru? Sikiru through Olatunji. Through Olatunji, that's what I figured. Yeah, Nigeria, Nigeria, and then Zakir from India, and Baba yeah. from Nigeria, yeah. you know, and uh, and Viku from South India played the Gatam, and Flora Torum and Ayuto from yeah. Brazil. So it was really quite a thing. They were all my friends, and they didn't know each other. I knew all, each wow. all of them. And so I made the call, a drum call. You know, I said, okay, you know, I got, uh, how about, you know, let's meet at, you know, my house at blah, 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 when we play. And that was no expectations or anything. So people met, we played. It was almost all first takes. It was done in a week. Uh, and, it, you know, it won a Grammy, you know, sold a, a hunk of records. And, um, and it really put uh, percussion on the map as far as music goes. And it was number one. Yeah, in uh, Billboard for fifty-two weeks or something like that over the year. Wow. Yeah, so it was, uh, and it was the first. It won the first Grammy for a world music. It actually started that category. Wow. They didn't know where to put all the stuff I was doing, and so they said that this was world music because it was fusion world fusion music or something. There really isn't anything like world called world music. You understand? I called the Grammy guy up. I said, "Hey." Thanks for the Grammy, but there's no such thing as world music. Otherworldly music. I mean, it's the world's music. <laughs> you know, it all depends geographically where you are is what you consider world music. You could be in the Philippines and think that the uh, music from Arkansas, you know, uh, is world music. It all depends. Yeah. It's geographically specific, you know, what it's culturally specific. So, uh, yeah, so that's what happened. And I'm, I met Giovanni Hidalgo. The great Conguero, the best in the world, uh, through Ayerto. And he came from that jazz world. He played Dizzy Gillespie. He was the center of the band in Dizzy Gillespie band. He was the band with Dizzy. 
I mean, to have him that's and how- Zakir in the same band is just like yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know how it was going to go because when you put maestros together, it's delicate. I mean, normally, you know, they over, try to overplay each other or, you know, to compete with each other or something is not right. In this case, it was just perfect. And everybody had such a blast. I, after five, six days, I said, oh, go home. We did it, you know. <laughs> and um, Get out yeah. of my closet. Huh? <laughs> you said get out of my the closet. Yes, <laughs> stay out of my closet. So come to my closet because, uh, you know, my closet is very, very rhythmic in my closet. And then, then Francis came, Francis Coppola came to see me and Billy and Rhythm Devils at uh, 1978 at Winterland, and he wanted uh, his movie, his new movie, which hasn't been made, to sound like that. He had the Rhythm Devils, and it was Apocalypse Now. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. (laughs) And so that was a whole other one. Then we had to build the beast and all the ring and all that stuff. All the instrument building came out of Apocalypse. Then I said, well, Francis, there are no instruments that can do that. That. I have to build them. And that's so me and Ramrod took over Bill Graham's uh, uh, workshop for three weeks and took all of his staff and everything and built the beast. <laughs> the home plate, right left eye. So all came cool. from the Apocalypse, the beam. One of the, that was Napalm. If you go to you listen to Apocalypse, every time you hear see Napalm, you hear the, you'll hear the beam. That's, it was the perfect instrument for Napalm. The one <laughs> instrument. Francis said, I spent $200,000 to get the sound of napalm. And you just <laughs> did it like that. <laughs> I said, wrong instrument, wrong orchestra. He spent 200000 or something on an orchestra and people, to, synthesizers, to get the sound of napalm. It's just, which is not easy. It's a, it's a difficult sound if you don't have the right instrument. Yeah. Anyway. Was the movie so? Did you guys make the Did you guys make the music for Apocalypse Now after or yeah. during the recording of the? Like, did you get to see the movie and then record, or was it before? Did he build the movie around me? It's just no, we, bu- we built the instruments first. <laughs> yeah, built the instruments first. I didn't want to record until I had these gigantic sounds, right? Uh, because that was that was war. That was that was that was the soundtrack to it, you know, big, loud, boomy sounds of explosions and so forth. And, and, uh, so yeah, so we, 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 we got, we built the, we built the drums and all these other instruments, put them all at front street. And we just went in there with Ayerto and me and Bill, Phil was a little bit part of it too. Uh, uh, and went in and, and started playing, um, Apocalypse Now music. Uh, Francis didn't want want me to do it scene by scene. He he's such a a visionary. He wanted me to do it from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie, all in one take. He wanted me to go up the river for Kurtz, just like the story goes. He wanted me to go uh, uh, right up to so the, the film was just playing over and over and over, and we would play through the through the film and uh, and go on that adventure with the movie Damn. which so you know cool. which was which was insane yeah. i mean if you're going to play you know doing sometimes we'd have to stop and do spotting you know we'd have to really hit make real hits and so forth 
But that was the, that was the spirit that Francis uh, had over us. That's incredible. Yeah, I, such a variety. Oh, you go ahead, man. No, no, no. I'm sorry. No, you go ahead, Otil. <laughs> I'm having such a good time listening. I wanted to ask about Jerry. I was going to ask him about... I, 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 we're, yeah, I don't want to keep you too long. I have to ask you. I would be... I'd, I'd, I'd regret it forever if I didn't just ask you about, you know... Um, about Jerry, your your feelings about Garcia, your relationship with him. You think about him every day still. You see him. Is he there? He's back in my left ear, you know, always, you know, the, the ear that he deafened, you know, <laughs> with, his, with, his, with his auxiliary speakers behind my left ear. Yeah, he's in my head a lot. All I have to do is listen, and he becomes very, very vivid. Uh, I feel... A lot of things, uh, you know, about Jerry. Jerry and I were very good friends because we would ride in the first van, the first, you know, car to the gig always. Bob was always in the second and with and third and Phil and so forth. But we always went in the car, in the limo. And that was a, such a great time to get to know somebody because, as you know, on the road, we don't get to talk to each other very much because we're moving, playing you know, resting up and so forth. Well, all those years, we shared the same car and the same band. So we got to know each other really well. And of course, it was it was like getting hit with a, a baseball bat, you know, when I found out. Uh, yeah, it was very traumatic. Uh, it was, I knew it was the end of the Grateful Dead immediately. Uh, uh, once I walked into my yoga teacher who lived uh, over the hill in a little cabin, uh, and I looked at him, and I walked up, and I looked at him. He looked at me, and he, I said, what's happening? He, he had music playing, and he never had music play. And I said, what's the music? And he said, haven't you heard? And as soon as he said that, I knew exactly. I knew it. I knew it. Wow. I knew what had happened. I mean, we expected it for a long time, you know, for many years. He was living on borrowed time, as you know. Uh but the funny thing, if this funny, he was clean when he died. You know, <laughs> <laughs> right yeah. he, he cleaned up and died. <laughs> no, but it was his little his heart gave out, and you know he had all the cholesterol in his, you know, from all the diabetes things, and you know just eating burgers and shakes, and you know not taking care of himself. So, but he died with a with a smile on his face. That's, that was another thing you take away. But look what he did, you know, uh, for all those years and how vast the throw of the Grateful Dead is now. Spiritually and community is still together. The music still flows. So he's very much a part of here now. Uh, I feel him with him, especially, of course, uh, on celebrating these events. I planted three redwood trees, which are, kind of blue redwood, kind of rare, uh, and one for each decade. I mean, what, each 10 years mm. was another, represent each tree. So I usually go there, it's Jerry's place, and we go there and we, we go high, we have barbecue, you know, we, we enjoy each other, we celebrate, and sometimes if there is somebody related in Grateful Dead land here, he tells stories. And, you know, you know, smoke a lot of good cannabis and tell a lot of good stories. 
Yeah, it makes me I always I try to keep in my head, you know, to keep that balance because the road can kill you if you let it. You know what I mean? I mean, it's all you. Yeah. There's a, but the road, it, it makes it easier <clears throat> to just fall into just bad habits. It's not a natural. They right. celebrate thing, it. You know, it's a, you really have to have, you, you really have to apply some effort, keep things. Yeah, but I've seen it so much, you know. Even with my friends who are a lot younger, uh, I've buried enough of them. Um, <clears throat> just have to um, balance it out. You, know? you have to celebrate all this, Otil. You know, I mean, there's nothing to be, you know, to go down in in the dumps about. I mean, we had a shot, a great shot, a great run. You know, we did as much as we possibly could with. With, with who we had and the time we had to do it in. And I'm really proud of what we did. You know, look around. The Grateful Dead is a positive in a negative world, you know, and they have to remember that's one thing you can count on, that we were the, we were for the good. And we, we did good things. We played as hard as, played our hearts out most of the time and treated our, our fans, you know, as best you possibly could and always had them in mind didn't charge a lot of money uh, and all of that kind of stuff we and gave a lot of it away so it was it was a, a very positive like i said in a very negative uh world world on fire world out of rhythm and you know all your solo stuff was like that i love especially the time we're living in now where we're finally dealing with race and the divisions and all this stuff I look at, you know, the records you did where you pulled all these things together, you know, gated world music. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, there's such obscure records for me that I kept finding out that you produced this before I was really into the dead. This is from Colonel Bruce Hampton. Yeah. You know, I would just be like that. I think that's how I found out about the Guto monks. Yeah. And well, then recently, like right before uh, getting the dead and company gig, I wanted to hear music of like ancient Egypt because, you know, he used to call me Oteal from Egypt. He's the one that gave me the nickname because oh. my name is Egyptian, you know. Oh. I was like, well, you know, I know you can hear the uh, influences of Egyptian music all through the Middle East and Arabic and, and yeah, all the Middle Eastern musics. Right. But I thought, you know, the religion and language, all this stuff says they come from the South. I was like, I need to hear some Nubian music. I call Colonel Bruce. I go, you, you know any Nubian music? Well, in a millisecond, he goes, Hamza El-Din. I'm like, okay, how do you spell that? You know, <laughs> and I get this record, and it's like produced by Mickey the Hart. I like Mickey Hart produces every like every time I find some different, like so far, you know, Guto Monks, Nubian music, and this boom. You just, you bring all this stuff together that is just like, that's what I wish the world could see and yeah. hear that more right now. Absolutely. It all works together great. Like, how did you meet Absolutely. Hamza Eldin? That stuff just killed me. I played banjo with it. Oh, isn't it something? Oh, um, it's the king, the king of quiet. He was so quiet, but his, he was so articulate and so committed at a, such a, a quality low level, you know. So, so intense, like it's, such oh, intensity. Yeah, it's, but, oh. 
it's the soft side of percussion. It's, it's, he would like romance that drum. You know, it, it, it's called a tar. And, and that's what one of the things that the Middle East has and all those, uh, those instrument, uh, instruments come from there, those single membranes. You could travel with them, you know, go on a camel or, you know, or ride on a bicycle with them. And so, yeah, I love that. Now, if you want to hear the whole, not the whole scope of it, but part of it, you can go to the Smithsonian Folkways, and it's you go Smithsonian Folkways, and you look up the Mickey Hart collection. And That's what I wanted to get to, like how you yeah. how you started doing that Smithsonian. Folkways. I'm on the board there, you know. So, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> but besides that, before I was on the board, they they, uh, they took the collection. So, how did I do that? Or how you did it start you- in the field recording with your Nagra? That's how you do it. And with a great love and respect for the world's music. And also because you look at the world's music and it was never recorded well. It was always recorded at three and three quarters or some small, you know, inferior uh, rate. And a lot of it is really old to that Alan Lomax. I'm sure you heard all that stuff. That Alan, that was a big influence on me. I knew Alan. Yeah. Really? Wow. Yeah. I knew Alan. Uh, that stuff killed Yeah, me. so it, I said, I want these musics to be as good as the Grateful Dead. I mean, I wanted to sound just like we would be making a record. And I also wanted to put it in a wrapper, you know, like a, a sleeve and give all the information just like you would on a Grateful Dead record. Mm-hmm. So each one of these productions, I was producing it at the level, the highest level. And you never heard respected. world music there before and that's why this collection became so valuable was because it's all recorded at 15 ips or 30 ips with uh, 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 a nagra you know i mean uh, the best recording machine and that was ever built for the field built like a tank and a swiss watch and nagra never stopped i was in the arctic circle it fired bang it was in the rainforest you know uh, uh, of, of of thailand or or bali fired whether you're uh i always put it in record and it always became red no matter what no matter where i was it never failed me once at all those all those remote recordings and in the worst places you know desert i recorded for a, a month after we left egypt in 78 we played in front of the pyramids bye guys I stayed there. I, I wasn't going to go back. I stayed there for a month going up and down the Nile recording the uh, cafe music. Never released it. Wow. I have, I have them all. Uh, and, and, but I did release, release the Humsa record. I made that with him. You know, Humsa. Yeah, and so, he, played, uh, he came back to the U.S. afterwards and played with you guys, right? Right, right after that Egypt tour. That's right. When you guys returned to San Francisco. That's right. He played and the whole in Winterland. And everybody, so awesome. Yeah. He had them clapping, like 5,000 people clapping together. I mean, wow. Well, that was one of the added perks of being a rabid dead fan that appreciated 
what you guys appreciated was that it was almost like you were giving us a key to like eight different doors where I got to travel down each of your wormholes where I could go with Jerry band all the way to like, you know, Howard Wales and the, the bluegrass stuff, Mm -hmm. new riders and all of this. And then, you know, what Bobby would do with Kingfish and sea stones and then the stuff that you did. And it was just so amazing to have that. I learned about so many other bands and the roots what i roots for for me you know and that was such a awesome gift that you gave us thank the grateful dead too you know i mean i was allowed to do whatever i wanted to everybody knew that if i was going to bring somebody into the band they had to be happening you know and everybody enjoyed every one of the of those uh jerry's used to call them uh my enthusiasms (laughs) <laughs> did follow Mickey's enthusiasms <laughs> enthusiasm that's what it, how we how we uh refer to it but he was always a very supportive matter of fact he named drumming at the edge of magic and that was his idea drumming at the edge of magic I mean wow. just the 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 name you know because we were at the edge of magic you know we were mm. playing you know we were taking uh, psychoactive drugs and playing together for you know with all of our strength and all of our you know our hearts and so it became a you know a very spiritual thing to us and and those people that came in uh nurtured our scene and like you said that was very nice of you to say that and that's exactly what happened it was nice of you to do it <laughs> and uh, you know it wasn't about being nice i was hungry for it i <laughs> I always wanted to hear these great musics at, at, reproduced at, through the best PA. Olatunji uh, 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 and Oakland Coliseum through a Grateful Dead PA. Uh, I couldn't even dream of that. But when he did it, when I, and we ran tape on it, I got in the middle and mixed him at the, at the mixing console. And I mixed him at the same level as the Grateful Dead would be. I mean, I pounded it. And it was just chilling. I had a hard time keeping my eyes on the on the needles, yeah, <laughs> it, it, so to speak. And the meters were going crazy, and I was, oh, oh wow, this is great. <laughs> and it was. Everybody loved it. It reminds me, man. I've got to get you together with Weedy Brema. To me, he's the Olatunji of our generation. Oh, right. so he's like, <clears throat> think. One side, 111th generation Ghanaian drummer, right? Um, and both mom and dad. And then the other side, I think he's like, he told me a story as grandfather. I think he'll correct me if I'm wrong. We'll get him on here one time. His grandfather didn't believe that women should play drums. <clears throat> and then that's right. he saw his grandmother play drums. And asked her to marry. I mean, that's not right. (laughs) (laughs) Never let a woman play a drum. Once you give them the drum, they might want to vote. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, this dude is so intense, man. Like, so I, I, so I want to get him up with us so bad. Once you see him play, Jimmy, like, give him a drum, they want to vote. Then they'll want to. Can't take the Brooklyn out of the drummer, man. That's right. But the real story is that the women were the first drummers in the in the uh, um, uh, mother goddess uh, yeah. cultures of ancient Europe, about 5000 B.C. The women 
women had women had the drums. The the women controlled the ritual. They used large cylinder drums. Uh, at least it, that's what Marija Kambudas's uh, uh, archaeological finds says. There were when I discovered there were large cylinder drums in the Paleolithic. I, I go, wow! So the women controlled the rituals. They made the laws, uh, and they had, but they controlled the drums. They controlled the rhythm of what was going on, and you know, it, women were the first drummers. <laughs> yeah, right. and so, and then we took them away. We took the drum away. We were evil Kur- Kurgans coming down from the north. We <laughs> came down on the caveman bonk on the head. We're coming, we're Kurgans, and we're coming down, and we're getting, making your peaceful mother goddess civilizations, and we're going to take the drum away from you, and you're going to, we're going to take it over, and we're going to make it into a war instrument, and then the Mongols brought it back, and all of a sudden, the, the women were playing little tambourines and, and uh, ting, 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 ting cymbals, and we had the big drums. So that's the story uh, of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the short of the long of it. Well, they'll have their time again, you know. That's right. <laughs> well, now there are a lot of women drummers, and they're, they're good. Oh, they're so. Good. Oh, they're oh good. More and more, bring them on, and uh, a lot of the women bass players, man, are killing really? it. Just oh, yeah. killing. Isn't that great? Isn't that, that wonderful? Is, See the women pl- pick up the instruments and play with us, yeah. and that's really that's and really all over the really world too, man. There's this this lady named Mohini Day. She's Indian lady, young. I mean, I would call her a girl, but she's a young woman. I just see them all over the place. It's really great. It's great to see. Yeah, but the interesting thing is the white the white gals. You see, they mm. are really picking up on the rhythm. They want. They to, are they man. Got, they got connected to the polyrhythms of Africa. Basically, they groove into to to uh, rhythms that were born in Africa, They're and that's like a mofo. Well, that's what the motherland, you know, that's the motherland, you know, of rhythm. Really, that's what came out of Africa. Uh, of course, the the Indian system is much more complicated and more classical, whereas the uh, the percussion that comes from Africa is polyrhythmic, and of course is geographic like maniac everything is different you know everywhere there and but the all of these drum languages are are, are still spoken uh so, because the drum was used as a telegraph in the old days the talking drums they called them but they were slit gongs slit drums they call them they're not gong, drums they're gongs but slit gongs uh used to used to be communication between a village they would send it to one listening post and the other guy would get that he would pass pass on the news the next station would get it pass on the news so it became a telegraph uh, uh, before you know for electricity and before all of these things went down uh, but jumps were really a vital part of community in Africa especially that's why it's it, it damaged the black community the African community here in America because they figured that out after a couple of slave revolts that they were communicating with the drums, and they took them away. So you take the drum away from African culture, you just like that's it. Cut the Power. heart out of it and Power. throw it in the trash, you know. And uh, it really did. It, it, it all came. Like, so it all bad. came from Nigeria, the slave mm-hmm. trade, pretty much. And that's why New Orleans is so important because of First the French influence. For some reason, they allowed. Um, 
black people to keep their drums. And so the all you know, the jazz and the funk and all this stuff comes out of there. Wow. Those great drum traditions. That's why New Orleans is my huh. that's my Mecca that I do my Hodge to, man, because that's where the drums in a, in North America United States of America were allowed to exist. It's the birthplace. It's a birthplace of modern music, you know, in New Orleans. And but they were only the, the slaves were only allowed to have their ha, have their. Are we still there? Yeah, yeah. They were only allowed to have their um, rituals on Sunday. They didn't have their drums. They would give them their drums on Sunday and uh, Congo and then, Square, Congo Square, or Lake Pontchartrain, the two places. Yeah that they were allowed to go into their rituals of Santeria, Condomble, all of these are uh, the uh, Shango, these are all these are all gods from uh, Nigeria, West Africa, and Christianized when it came over here. Uh, they came over through uh, Bahia, uh, Brazil, up through Central America, and they landed in Haiti. And there was a giant slave revolt, free slave revolt, at the end of the 1700s, and every and and all the energy went. Now they all went to New Orleans, where uh, it all came together. You know, all the piano playing. You know, all of the um, and uh, you know that that Marie Laveau. Yeah, Marie yeah. Oh, and I would you read some of the newspaper to, articles I, I about love her. Have been the drummer for Le, Marie Laveau. <laughs> now that would be a good gig back then when uh yeah so uh yeah that was the birthplace of jazz that's where you know the yeah. mississippi the river took it up north to chicago kansas city you know new york uh all of that riverboat music uh all of that um jelly roll stuff and just whoop, right up the river and and you know, mixed with Appalachian music and so forth and became what we know as jazz. And then, of course, rhythm and blues. And then, of course, rock and roll. And it all came out of New Orleans at Congo Square. And the thing about Congo Square is people don't, even in New Orleans, they don't, they don't treat it right. You know, it's not kept well. It's not recognized as the birthplace of music in America. It's just not honored. I always uh, had a thing about that. I never understood why the city wouldn't honor the birthplace of music in America, North America. Well, you know, the musicians know, though. And, I, you know, yeah. to me, it's my highest honor that I am loved and respected by my favorite New Orleans musicians. Yeah. Don't you know, like, it. be getting the Hank play with... Zig, you know, from the meters and George and all those guys and you know, Ivan Neville and all the all the bands down there, man. I I I dearly love that music and yeah. have a relatives, I think a great great grandmother or something that was Didn't you tell me you found out during like an ancestry thing that Yeah, <laughs> you'll love this, Mickey. <laughs> There's a my aunt started doing uh, all this ancestry stuff. <clears throat> Let me back up. My dad's brother found all these genealogical records with the Mormons because we, you know, a lot of blacks don't know where they came from. And we didn't know up until five or more years ago. Uh, and my dad's brother found this records with the Mormons and turns out we're from Nigeria. So 
on my dad's side, a tribe called the Igbo, which are known as the Black Jews of yeah. West Africa. That's right. right. That's right. Uh, so my aunt starts doing this Ancestry.com stuff, and, you know, she goes down the rabbit hole. Well, then one time I was like, you know, I want to find out, you know, you hear now that I know I'm being an Igbo, I want to get my DNA test, you know, so I do the DNA test, and sure enough, it comes out mostly Igbo. Out of and so, um, oh, I forgot my train of thought now. Oh, um, New Orleans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so my aunt goes, hey, there's, um, there's some guy that we found from when you did your DNA test, then it linked up with all these other people. And so she said, there's some guy that I think you're related to in New Orleans. And I was like, sweet. You know, and she goes, do you know somebody named Chris Royal? And I was like, I played like <laughs> how many gigs with this guy, like Jazz Fest, you know? So I get a text from him. Apparently, you know, they con she contacted him, but he's like, yo, what's up, cuz? You know, so <laughs> the very first time I got to see the original version of the meters in New Orleans, finally, his mom was there because I think he was playing horns with him. <sighs> And so I'm on stage, you know, George and Zig put me on the list, and I'm sitting on stage, finally, I thought I was... And Chris goes, hey, man, I want you to meet my mom. Now, Chris doesn't really look like me and my family, you know? Yeah. And, um, but his mom turns around, and boom, I just see the whole, my mom's side of the family screaming at me. Like, if I had met her on the street, I would have looked at her, like, wondering if we're related, you know? And I was like, wow, I have this blood in New Orleans. It was just a feeling, you know. So all this happened really recently, like just finding out where you come from. Yeah. You know, just a basic thing like that. Something. Yeah. Well, I, 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 know, I, I know I came from the rhythm world, some rhythm world somewhere out there, or many rhythm worlds, and, you know, it just never let me go. I, I started when I was about four years old, maybe playing on – you know, just like every kid playing on dishes and, or, you know, tables and, you know, playing the practice pad out of there and all that. But, yeah, I started early and it never let me go all the years. I could never shake it. Not that I wanted to, but it never left me. I, I, I did bring a trumpet home at one time in high school. I bought a flute home. I bought a violin home. I bought a baritone horn home. Uh, but that only lasted, you know, a week each maybe. You know, and then, and then you end up just playing that with drums. Then back, to, then back to the drums. <laughs> it just was nothing better. Yeah. Anyway, O'Teal, it's been nice chatting with you. The, the Sonic yeah, Tonic man. Club is signaling me that no, South me, and I will. Hey, and, I, and I have to go. Five so, years ago, we were at Soldier Field, and at the end of it, you stood up there and you said, "Please be kind. Take this feeling that we have and yeah. bring it home and do something with it." And uh, that sentiment echoes louder today than ever before. So thanks for saying that. And uh, it didn't go unheard. Well, I hope not. I, I had I, I didn't think about it at all. I never even thought about saying anything. I just started walking off and there was this microphone in front of me and uh, Bob's mic. And I had I had never felt anything quite like those shows. Mm. Uh, I thought those shows, uh, as far as the energy in the audience and just the awe, of it. Yeah. it was just an awe in, in the whole stadium. 
it, it, it wasn't like they were clapping from here. It was they were clapping from here. Yeah. And I felt that it, they took that energy and did some good with it. You know, and just, of course, be kind, of course, but the energy should never be left at a Grateful Dead or Dead Co. concert. It shouldn't be left there. It should be taken home. And you do something with it. Use it. That energy we, that we conjured in four hours should not be wasted. It has to be used for something of the good. If it's not, then we haven't done our job. Thank you. Thanks a lot, man, for everything. I will leave you on that. Thank you so much, Mike. OD. Pleasure. A pleasure. I'll see <laughs> you. Come back again. soon. I'll see you again. Absolutely. Thanks, everyone, for listening. See you next time. Bye-bye. Wow. Thank you, Mickey. Thank you, old Teal. Love you. Love you. <laughs> That's perfect, dude. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.